So in today's world, oftentimes, uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's, we're so busy that oftentimes we're too busy to hear a good story. And I say that because as I was thinking about the passage this week, there's lots of different perspectives going on. And without the different perspectives and the, the length of time it takes to tell the story, you can't fully appreciate the end result. My wife oftentimes, Kelly, tries to share stories with me. And I'm so busy about the thing I'm thinking about that oftentimes I'm just like, what is the end result? Just tell, just tell me the conclusion. And it's not because I don't love her. It's oftentimes because I won't stop and smell the roses, if you will. Uh, our lives are so about the destination that oftentimes we can't enjoy the drive to the destination. And so oftentimes we think that we don't want to hear a story. We just want to know the, the facts about what happened. And sometimes we rob ourselves of seeing the process through which God rends these amazing miracles and works that he does when we only want to know the end result, we don't see the beauty of the painting. Oftentimes we look at a portrait or a painting and we, we think, man, what a beautiful family. Or, you know, if we look at an artist and see what they've done with a canvas, we go, what an amazing work. But if we, don't, if we weren't there to see how long it took them to do that work, think about the Sistine Chapel. And in the top they have, was it uh, Michelangelo had painted and done all these amazing paintings, but... If you don't really know what it took to do those paintings, you can't really appreciate them because in order to get that painting on the ceiling, you guys ever painted a ceiling before with just one color? It's a pain in the hiney. And so to paint something that's more than just one color, you must really want to paint that picture. To go to the extra work of building scaffolding to the entire top of a cathedral and to paint not just one color, not just two colors, but pictures of people's faces and, and little scenes that portray different events that happened in the Bible. So my point is, is that a good story takes more than just information. It takes transference of a vision and it takes communication and it takes distances to go. It takes characters, it takes settings, it takes conflict and then resolution. Without a good conflict in a movie, there can be no resolution. So today's conflict, we have Peter who has just kind of left where he was at. There was a healing. He was brought to Lydda and he um, healed this person that was paralyzed, Aeneas. And then from there, he's called to go to Joppa. And he's called to Joppa because someone is in conflict. They've had someone that's made a huge impact on their life. And because of that impact... When that person died and was no longer in their life, they were in distress. And so what that caused them to do is to call out on somebody that they knew, knew the God that can heal, knew the God that can bring someone back to life. So they called out to Peter and they sent for Peter who was in Joppa. So when they got to Joppa, Peter was there and he was used by God to miraculously raise this woman from the dead. He didn't do it in a way that brought glory to himself. He did it in a way that brought glory to God. Even when he went in to pray for this dead woman, Tabitha, it says her name's Dorcas, but they went with Tabitha, went into the room. He had everyone go out of the room because he didn't want it to be about the way that he prayed or what he said. He wanted them to recognize that I'm going in here. I'm beseeching the Lord. You all know that this Tabitha is without hope. She's dead. 
There's no life left in her body, no life left in her bones. She is without hope. But I'm going to beseech on her behalf and on yours who are blessed by her, I'm going to pray over her body that God would raise her from the dead. And when he does, he walks out and he says, here she is. She's with us again. Miracles that God does like that are never for the person that is prayed over. It would be far better for Tabitha just to be with the Lord, to be in his presence for all eternity. But rather, he calls Tabitha, God, to bring her body, her bones back to life for the sake of those who would see the miracle and turn their hearts back to the Lord. And so she, all that see what happens, they turn their heart back to the Lord. So Peter is used in a mighty way to draw people not to miracles, not to providing of stuff, but to salvation in Jesus' name. And so as Peter has been used in this spot, it says at the end of chapter 9 that, it was, that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Now for Peter to stay with Simon a tanner is not a culturally, it, it wouldn't happen in those days. A Jewish man leaving Jerusalem and going and staying with a Simon a tanner who was basically like a, a taxidermist. Now, I love to see taxidermy on the wall, but the work it takes to get that animal to be up there preserved and not stinketh, as the old King James would say, takes a lot of work. You have to cut the the hide off of the animal. You have to salt down the back of it. And any of the meat that's left on there, because we aren't that exact with our knives, right? That meat has to rot off before you want to bring it into your house. So you preserve it. And you take all this time to get all the, the rotten meat off of there so it doesn't make your house stinketh. And then you hang it on your wall and it's beautiful. It's, it's an animal. It's like, hey, I killed that. You know, for men, I killed that. And for ladies, it's like, I don't know why we have a dead animal in our house. You know, but we want, it, we want trophies, right? Not to mention when it's got a huge rack on it. We want that thing. It, it, there's a story behind it. And so we hang it on our walls. But for someone to do that, they have to kind of be the type that's willing to cut the skin off and to have a place where they can restore the, the hide and even fix the blemishes on it, maybe the holes, so they can make it look like it's actually you know, an animal sitting there on your wall that ran through the wall, I used to think as a kid. <laughs> How did that get there? You know. So anyway, this man's a taxidermist. And so with this smell of rotting meat and this uncleanness, Jewish people would not hang out with a taxidermist. They wouldn't hang out with a tanner. They wouldn't be anywhere near that place because if they were... Ritually unclean, they couldn't go to the temple and worship. But Peter's no longer worried about that. He understands that uncleanness that God was dealing with wasn't to be about the outward uncleanness, but the inward uncleanness of the heart, the intense, the thought life. And so he's dwelling with this man at Joppa. Perhaps this was the only man that would take him in. And he's been given this open door to minister to all who saw the ministry that was wrought through him by God and to tell him, to tell them, this wasn't me, this was Jesus. The Jesus, and, and, and we'll see later that he proclaims this gospel in a different town. And so, in ch- uh, chapter 10, verse 1, we transfer on to a new place because at the same time that this is going on, he's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. God is working in a completely different area with a completely different person by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius is a man that's not Jewish, but it says that he's a man that feared God And he was devout. He was one who prayed. So there in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, 
a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the poor, to the people, and prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And this angel calls out to him, not just, hey, you guy, but Cornelius. He knows his name. I I find comfort in that. God's angels are messengers from him. If that messenger knows Cornelius' name, that means that God himself knows Cornelius' name. The people that you pray for, the people that are hungry for something other than this world has offered them and left them empty, God knows their names. He died for them. So here we also have this angel calling out saying, Cornelius. And when Cornelius observed him, verse 4 says, he was afraid and he said, what is it, Lord? Now that's not big L, Lord, that's little L, Lord. You see, Cornelius was a man who was underneath authority. He was a, a soldier. Even though he was a, a leader, of a, it says there, a, uh, he was a centurion. He was a leader over a hundred soldiers. Even though he was a man of authority, he was under authority. That's where he got his authority from. Every one of us get our authority from somewhere before we can ever exercise it over anyone else. And so he says, what is it, Lord? And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God's hearing your prayers. He's seeing what you're doing with your money, with your talents, with your time. And God recognizes it. It's a memorial before him. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he came, he was a messenger, he gave the message, and then he left. It says, Cornelius called two of his household servants a devout and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, He sent them to Joppa. Now this man, this centurion, must have really had some guys under him that were willing to to follow no matter what he said because he just told them, an angel appeared to me. Now I don't know about you guys, but if somebody came to me and they said, hey, this angel appeared to me and gave me a vision, I'd be a bit skeptical. Unless the person telling me that had before never let me down. So he must have had a good testimony with those who were under him. So he tells them, I've got a vision from an angel of the Lord and you're supposed to go. I need you to go to Joppa for me. Find this man by the name of Simon. I've never met him before. I don't know what he looks like, but apparently he's by the sea and he's staying with this man named Simon, a tanner. I want you to go to him and bring him back. And so these men do so. So the first thing I want to notice about Cornelius is when he gets a word from the Lord, he responds in obedience like a soldier. That's what we are. We're soldiers for the Lord. And when he's our our commanding officer, when he gives us a word, how should we respond? We should respond in obedience, whether we get it or not. They didn't have much information other than you're supposed to go find this guy and bring him back. Well, what if he doesn't come back? Well, he doesn't say that they asked that question. They just obediently responded without question. So verse 9 says, The next day as they went on their journey and they drew near the city, 
Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound by the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in this sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to Peter, said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has called cleansed or declared clean, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So while God is speaking to this Cornelius and having these dealings with him on a completely different geographic lo- geographical location, there's Peter going up to the roof of the house. He's hungry, but he's spending time with the Lord, and all of a sudden he's hungry. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you guys get to spend much time with the Lord, but if you ever sit down to have a devotional time, have you ever noticed that all of a sudden at that time when you're devoting time just to be with the Lord, all of a sudden... All the things on your to-do list, your chores, whatever might need done that day, all of a sudden they become the most important thing. You're like, you know what? I need to spend time with the Lord. And you sit down and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I haven't dusted the blinds in a while. That used to be me when I was at the other house we lived in because I was a single guy and I'd sit down like, I'm going to devote some time to the Lord. And I'm all, in, in the moment when you don't have time to devote time to the Lord, you always want it. And then when you have time and you take it, all of a sudden everything else is more important. So <laughs> that's just a little side note, but I thought that was interesting. At the time that he sat time down to devote time to the Lord, he was hungry. He's like, you know what? I'm hungry. I wonder if I could eat something. Hey, look, a squirrel. You know, like there was always something else that seems more important, even though it's not. But he was up there. And while he was up there and they were preparing food, I don't know how long it had been since he'd eaten. Perhaps this vision, he's wondering if it was from the bad burrito he had the night before. But all of a sudden, the Lord, in a vision, he saw the heaven opened up and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. And it was filled with all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Those things that were in the sheet were unclean foods that the Jewish people, according to the law of the Old Testament, were not allowed to eat. So then, as he's getting this vision, the Lord speaks to him. My Bible has the words in red, implying that this was the Lord Jesus speaking to him directly. And it says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, just remember with me, while we're looking at this, remember the dealings with Cornelius. Cornelius has never walked with Jesus. Cornelius may have heard stories about the Lord, but He's worshiping him, not knowing much, and Peter himself has walked with him for three years. Cornelius' response is, okay, servants, go get Peter in Joppa. Peter's response, not so, Lord. (laughs) He seems to shoot himself in the foot. The Lord wants to do something mighty and amazing through him. And every time he's trying to do something that's outside of Peter's understanding, outside of the box of what Peter's used to, Peter says this, Not so, Lord. And he doesn't just say, not so, Lord. He then says, I have never. Has the Lord ever spoken something into your life? 
Have you ever read something in the Bible and you know you're supposed to be obedient to it and your response is, I can't do that, Lord, I've never. If you want to be defeated by the enemy and if you want to not have any fruitfulness in your life, this is the way you should live it. When God shows you something, just say, I can't, I've never done that. <laughs> Let me tell you, in the last couple of years, in the last eight years that I've been walking with the Lord, over and over again, God's called me to do things, and my first response has been, I've never done that. The Lord didn't say that you had ever done that. He wouldn't have to tell you to do it if you'd already done it before. You'd be fine with it. He's calling you to something new. And for Peter, he's getting ready to do something extremely new, extremely different. It was completely outside of his cultural worldview. It was something that made him uncomfortable. Kelly and I, when we were looking at handing out water bottles and handing out Bibles to people at the, the courthouse on the, on the week of the, um, the uh, Jamboree, uh, what's it called? The, the Mountain Music Festival. Kelly looked at me and she said, you know, I, I, I trust that Lord, the Lord has called us down here and I know we're supposed to do the work of an evangelist. She goes, but I'm really nervous about handing out bottles and water. Well, she said it out loud. I had been thinking it. <laughs> you know, like, I get nervous too. I mean, I teach the Bible every week, but to speak to non un unbelievers, to non-believers, is a scary thing. You know, what's that going to look like? What, are they, what if they say no? What if they say, hey, you're crazy? You know, what if they... What if? I've never done that before, right? And, and when God calls us to do something different, it's always something that we're, it's going to make us uncomfortable. He's trying to basically take us and stretch us out and make us have more capacity to do things that we've never done before. To take his, our, our view of who he is outside of the box and go, I'm bigger than that. That thing that you're scared about, I'm bigger than that. That thing that I'm calling you to, I'm bigger than that. And God's been so faithful in my life that every time I'm scared and I've never done it before and I just show up, I try, then he does it anyway. I don't have to do it. He does it through me. And so Peter's going to experience the same truth. So God speaks to him again the second time. What God has called declared clean, you must not call common. And this was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Again, a man who did not walk with Jesus obeys right away. A man who had walked with him physically, seen him do miracles, had even been restored to ministry after denying him three times. His response, I don't know. And then it says there in verse 16 that God showed him this three times. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. You know, it says that on the, the side of the shampoo bottle. God wanted this word to be effective and Stuck to Peter's mind. So it's stuck. And verse 17 says, While Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, he still didn't get it. He's like, okay, even if I want to obey, I don't even know what you're trying to tell me. Am I supposed to go out and pick up some unclean food and eat it? Is that what you're saying? So then it says, Behold, while he's still trying to figure out what God was trying to show him, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. They didn't know him by Peter. They knew him by Simon. So they wanted to be very formal. Is Simon, whose surname is Peter, is he here? Well, that's pretty good too, because if he just said, if Simon here, well, yeah, he's a tanner. You want to see him about a, uh, did you kill an animal you want to put on your wall? 
<laughs> you trying to make a, a blanket out of your hide that you just shot? No, he's coming for Simon Peter. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit had said to him, verse 19, Behold, three men, Simon said to him, Behold, three men are seeking for you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. I'm sorry. Simon didn't say this. The Spirit said, to the, said this to him, the Holy Spirit. Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. He's very specific on this command. He says, I want you to get up. I want you to go downstairs. Now remember, Peter's still hungry. He can very easily say, but my meal's almost ready. Can I stay here? But he goes downstairs. He finds out what they want. And then he, does, he stays there the night. He actually goes downstairs. He hears what they're there for. And they, they eat. They stay the night. And then they go. Verse 20 or verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius. And he said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, he was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And then he invited them in and lodged them on the next day. Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So the messenger's testimony, them coming and asking for Peter, was confirmed first by the Lord saying, these men that are about to show up, I sent them. And then they come and they say, hey, our, our, um, our master, he sent us to, to get you. And here's the circumstances. He's got a vision from the Lord, from an angel. But notice that he didn't go down there because of them telling him how great the centurion Cornelius was. He went down because the Lord told him to. So Cornelius, we're going to find out in the next verse, is ready to hear from the Lord. Verse 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. They traveled, they walked, they entered Caesarea. And now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I want you to notice that when God told him, I want you to send for Peter, he had been hungry for a word from the Lord. And so he didn't just send other people to go do what God called him to do. He sent people so he could stay where he was and prepare not only to hear the message himself, but for others to hear the message. He wasn't just content to hear a word for the, from the Lord and keep it to himself. He gathered all those who were closest to him and said, I want you guys to hear what God's going to speak to me because if it's important for me, I guarantee it's important for others. And so oftentimes we, we don't come to the Lord expectantly waiting to hear from him. God's told us to dwell in his word to incline our ears to him. And I think sometimes we think it's just for us. But Cornelius didn't think that at all. He thought, if the Lord wants to speak to me, I want as many people as possible to experience that same word. And so he gathers together, it says, his relatives, which are usually the closest ones to our heart, right? They're our blood. We want them to experience Jesus like we have. And then he also, he also calls to him, his uh, close friends. And as Peter was coming in, verse 25, Cornelius met him. He fell down at his feet and he worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself, I'm also a man. I'm just like you. And as he talked with him, he went in, he found many who had come together. And then he said to them, 
you know how lawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. It doesn't seem like his speech is coming out very loving. <laughs> you know I shouldn't be here. <laughs> you came and got me. You know I shouldn't be with you guys. You guys are... Oh. He, he starts that way, but then he says, but God. I love that. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. Now, I kind of laugh when I see that because he kind of objected, but it, it doesn't show that he objected when the Lord said, go. It says he objected when he said, I can't. I've never done this before because he thought it was talking about food. So technically, I guess Peter came without objection. Um, as soon as I was sent for, I came. I asked then, verse 29, for what reason have you sent for me? So, Peter has this aha moment. He's gotten this vision, and then right after it seems, the Lord sends him somewhere else. Meanwhile, he really still doesn't know what the Lord was trying to show him. He was kind of chewing on it. He's going, what are you trying to tell me, Lord? I, I don't get it. And he, the Lord told him three times, and he still didn't get it. Let me tell you that that's okay. Sometimes God wants you to just chew on it for a while until he reveals another little truth that will kind of unlock it for you. He has this aha moment as he notices that as he goes where God sent him, that truth that God showed him was the message he was going to proclaim to the Gentiles, to the people who were afar off from Israel, the people that had been considered unclean. God was sending Peter to those people because they needed him too. And as he walks into this room of people that Cornelius has gathered, he's going, wow, you sent me not just to one man, but to the whole realm of influence of that one man. See, God never sends us to share the truth with one person. He sends us to a group of people. And I was actually just telling Jared this story this weekend because as I considered it, I thought about Lance Calvert. He's the guy that plays the drum and he, he teaches the children up at Parkland Chapel. And... Uh, my pastor worked at U.S. Tool for a while, and he knew Lance. And as he shared the gospel with Lance, Lance got saved on the tailgate of his truck one day when they were fishing. And Lance worked with Dave Talley. And Dave Talley, his wife, was Mandy Talley. Go figure, they have the same last name. And Mandy Talley knew Cindy Glacheski. And Cindy knew her whole family. And so as we're getting to see that when you share the gospel with one Lance Calvert, it goes to one day tally, and then it goes, and every one of those people has a realm of influence. So when God sends us away from what seems like an effective work, like Peter and Joppa, this whole group of people that got saved, God's going to send them to someone else. But it's never one person. People are interconnected with one another in a way that the gospel spreads like a virus through cells, but not a bad virus, a good one. And it turns upside down our lives. And so... Peter has gone to this man, and this man has gone to his family and his close friends. And so Cornelius explains. He says, what, what reason have you sent for me, Peter says. And Cornelius says, verse 30, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Prayer is more than speaking. It's also listening. And as this man, who had not really experienced God a whole lot, but he had heard of him, he was crying out to God, I need more of you. I have power as a, as a leader. And I've, I, I, 
but the world has, there has to be more to this than just what I've experienced. And so as he was hearing from the Lord, he cried out, he was fasting, he was doing without food, he was hungry for God. And as he was hungry for God, God met that need and he spoke to him. So he's telling Peter, send therefore, excuse me, he says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. He remembers exactly what God spoke to him. And then verse 31, 32 says, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So don't just send for the guy, but when he comes, he's going to be my messenger. My question is, why didn't he just use the angel? Well, because God's just as interested in sending a message to a people as he's interested in working on the person that is the messenger. See, Peter needed to learn a new truth from God, and the only way for Peter to learn that new truth was to take it, take the message God had given him, and then learn it himself and apply it to his life and teach it to other people. So when Peter starts to tell them, I perceive that God shows no partiality, neither Jew nor Greek, neither black nor white, you bring the partiality that you have in your life, neither poor nor rich, whatever the thing might be, God doesn't show partiality. So Peter, I want you to go tell people that. But in order for Peter to tell those people that, he had to first understand it and apply it to his life and practice it. And so as he's telling the message, he's learning that he has to start thinking that way. God's changing his thinking. He's changing the way that he processes things. Verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, Cornelius says to Peter, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we're all here. We're present before God to hear all the things that he's commanded you. We understand that God's not just sent you here to hang out but he's given you something to teach us. We're ready, teach us. That's amazing. Have you guys ever experienced that when your kids want you to teach them something? It's not very often, it seems like, but when they finally come to you and they say, I want to learn how to do this, will you teach me? Doesn't it just bless your heart? These people are hungry for the word of God. They're asking for it. Give me more. These men that we're getting ready to have the Bible study with, they've been asking We need more than Sunday mornings. We want men to teach us how to be godly men. We want people that are disciples of Jesus who have been walking with Jesus for a while. We want them to to teach us. What do we do next? What are we called to? What are we set apart for? What does this look like? These people are hungry. And so Peter has been given this opportunity. And many times it seems like when you you teach the word of God, when you study it, and it doesn't seem like there's very many times where people are actually going, give me more. But these people are. And so Peter, he's blessed. He's like, okay, let's do this thing. So he starts in verse 34 and he shares the gospel in a very simple, short way that impacts their thinking. So verse 34 says, Peter opened his mouth and said, and for the first time that there's so many times where he inserts his foot. I don't think anybody ever goes, Peter. Oh yeah. He was the guy that preached the gospel very simply in Joppa. They always go, isn't he the one that denied Jesus? You know, they always remember his faults. But here he, in a mighty way, he says, in truth, I perceive, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses. We saw it happen of all things. We're witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they killed by hanging on a tree. That's the bad news. They killed him, right? But then verse 40, Him, Jesus, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us. I'm one of them. I'm one of them who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that it is he who was chosen or ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He will have the final judgment on all who are living and all who have gone on. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. There's that word, remission. What does that mean? Remission is an accounting term. Remission of sins is like the forgiveness of debt. You guys ever get the telemarketer calls? I get them all the time. I don't even have any credit cards. And they call me, they go, we've now got this new deal where you can get all your credit card debt put into one with a lower interest rate. Now they don't know me and I don't have any credit card debt. Now we did, we did have some, so it's not like we've never been there. But I'm saying if I did have it, I'd be real quick to go, well, this might be something good. But these people that Peter has been sent to, they recognize we have debt that we haven't dealt with. Not financially, but spiritually. We have sin. And since we have sin, we have a bank account that's full of debt towards God. So the remission of sin is for the forgiveness of debt. Now many times the government has these opportunities to have your student loans forgiven. See it on the news all the time. And since there's so many people that have student loan debt, they're going, their ears perk up. They go, I'd love to have my debt forgiven and not have to pay it. These people are convicted that they have sin that needs paid for. It needs forgiven. And so when he preaches this to him, says all the prophets witness that through his name, through Jesus' name, whoever believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. Their bank accounts that were bankrupt will be filled up, not only forgiven of the debt, but then filled up with Jesus' righteousness. And Peter, who is speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, gets interrupted by these people. They respond and they go, we want it. We want what you are proclaiming. We want to receive it. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, and then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? They've received salvation just like we did. This gift of salvation through Jesus, it's not just for the Jewish people, it's for all those who would believe and receive it. 
And so this is good news. And verse 48 says, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. So they've received salvation. They've responded to the gospel. And he says, I want you to be obedient to this thing that is called baptism. I want you to surrender. I want you to allow someone to take you under the water. Symbolizing that you are now dead to yourself and you're risen with Christ in new life. You're a new creation. Do you realize that there are many out there who, though we live in a Christian nation, although I don't know that we can call it that anymore, there are many who have heard the name of Jesus but have not heard the message that was just preached by Peter. They understand that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world, but they don't understand that it calls them to turn away from their sin, to repent, to receive the grace of God, to have their sinful life, the sins that they committed, forgiven. Do you realize that there are people that don't, they won't come to church? They have no reason to. They're not religious, although they are religious, just in different ways. But they don't realize that God wants them to receive Jesus. He died for them too. And some of them, they realize that they have a debt that needs paid. And they're praying and they're approaching God on their own ideas and their own moralism. But God's calling us to go to them. He's calling us to proclaim that they can have freedom through Jesus. But they need a messenger to go and share that hope. But we, in order to go to people that are not saved, have to realize where we came from. And I say that, and I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, because Paul preaches this to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2 verse 11. Just after he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest you should boast or brag about it. You didn't do it on your own, but God did it, and He gave it to you. Not because you deserved it, but because He loves us. And he says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then he says, therefore, because of this truth, because you have been saved, verse 11, he says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, once unclean is what he's saying, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jews referred to you as the, God, the people that God didn't choose, you who were once Gentiles, who were afar off, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers from the covenants, the promises that God made to them, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, separated from God by your sins, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ." You've received forgiveness, remission of sins. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, but we're made one in Christ. God doesn't show partiality. And I think oftentimes we forget that and we think of the people that don't live the way we do or wear Christian t-shirts or listen to Joy FM or who use foul language. I know lots of Christians that they're not there yet. They still use foul language. It happens. God's sanctifying them. That will shed off as God purifies their lives. It's not something that keeps them from being saved. Poor baby. It's okay. Hey, babies cry. It happens. 
But my point is, we forget where we came from. And, and so we set ourselves not apart to share the gospel, we set ourselves apart from them completely. And so they never have the opportunity to receive. Peter had this mindset that could have kept him from going and sharing the gospel with these unclean people. But when Peter was sent to them and he shared the gospel, they received it. And all those who went with them, probably thinking this is never going to work, they marveled, it says at the end of chapter 10, that just as they had received salvation through Jesus and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, the Gentiles received the same gift. God touched them and their lives were changed. All I'm saying is that God has people that are in your realm of influence that He still wants to reach. Are you living, understanding that, but saying, not so, Lord, I've never done that? Perhaps God's trying to break through that. Perhaps He's repeated it three or four times and He's just trying to send you with that message. I hope He is. He's, he's teaching it to me because I'm in a new realm of influence at my job. And I love it because it's stretching me. It's opening my mind and my eyes to see that there are so many people in this nation that's had so much light shed on it that still don't have salvation. They know of Jesus, but they haven't experienced salvation and joy and abundant life in His name. So may we be like Peter. May we be those messengers that God would send. May we be willing vessels to be uncomfortable for the sake of new life, new creations in Christ. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for reaching out to Cornelius, for reaching out to Peter and changing him. Lord, there are so many people in this valley even that, that are reaching out to you in their own way, but they don't know salvation through Jesus. And so they're just at as much of a loss as anyone who has never heard the name of Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that as they reach out to you, as they pray, as they try to seek you on their own, that you would, by your Spirit, meet them where they're at. Send them into our paths and send us to come alongside and to explain to them the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, may our lives boldly proclaim that. I love what the guy at the youth retreat said yesterday. Our lives proclaim something boldly anyway. But Lord, may our lives be set apart for your use and may you make us be those who proclaim Jesus more boldly than anything else because there's no salvation in our hobbies or in our jobs or in our uh, best advice if we don't have Jesus as the, the one that is giving it. Lord, we need you to be the one who compels us and, and uses us so that others might be saved. And so, Lord, use us. Build your kingdom here as we sang. And uh, I just love you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray that it would go forth, that as we leave this place and go into our mission field, Lord, that you would use us in a mighty way and that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.